0: We appreciate that so much, Pablo. Let me pray real quick before we jump into the word this morning. Father God, thank you for once again allowing us to come and freely worship you like this. And Now, Father God, I invite your Holy Spirit to take my words, take the study that I have done this week, that you would get rid of everything that is of me, and that I would only speak the words that you want spoken this morning. May our hearts be open And ready to receive uh, what your spirit has for us this morning in your son's name. Amen. Well, I'd venture to say that if I were to ask you the question, how is your prayer life? I think most of us here would probably say something to the effect that it could be better. I know, I know I would. That's exactly what my answer would be to it. Yet, we all know that prayer is vital and crucial It's a crucial part of the Christian life. We know this because we read this in the Bible. We see things like where Jesus said in Matthew, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you good things, give good things to those who ask Him? So we know, we know that prayer is important because we see it throughout the Gospels also. We see that Jesus was constantly going away, constantly getting by Himself in order to pray, by himself, he would get away. We also see in Scripture that the early church expanded with explosive growth because of diligent prayer. That was the main reason. It just exploded. We even see in First Thessalonians, we see where we were supposed to pray without ceasing. There's another guilt-ridden verse that we often feel, isn't it? Pray without ceasing. What this means, in other words, it means that we are told to be in a constant state of communion with God. I love what Tim Keller says in his book called Prayer. He writes, Prayer is awe, intimacy, and struggle, but the way to reality. There's nothing more important or harder or richer Or more life-altering there is absolutely nothing so great as prayer so knowing that prayer is vital for our Christian life why is it so difficult why why do we often neglect prayer and we know we know we should do it why do we do that See if you can relate to what Martin Luther said concerning his struggle with prayer. He says this, when I would speak and pray to God by myself, a 100,000 hindrances at once intervene before I get at it. The devil can throw all sorts of reasons for delay in my path. He can block and hinder me from all, on all sides. As a result, I go my way and never think of it again. Let him who has not experienced this only try it. Resolve to pray earnestly, and no doubt you will see how large an assortment of your own thoughts will rush in on you and distract you so that you cannot begin aright." Can anybody but me relate to that? Can you so relate to that? Prayer's hard. That's why, that's why sometimes having practical resources is helpful. I know for me, over the years, something practical that I have used is the whole ACTS. You know, you've heard of cats, acts, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That's something that I've used because of my ADD prayer life. I need to have some kind of guide to help me focus. And although these templates like this are helpful... So often the danger can be that we gravitate to simply saying the words, or completing, getting that template complete, and we actually, without achieving what prayer is actually for. Communicating and communion with God. This is where Jesus' instruction on how to pray, found in the book of Matthew chapter six, comes in. It's very helpful here. He gives us not so much a template on how to pray, but a model for helping us to fully and appropriately engage our hearts and our minds in prayer. What he does essentially here is show us how to pray in a way that helps us to better understand who God is and our need for him. Now, this morning, we're going to take a close look at what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, and I have to give a little caveat, a little apology here, is when we went to staff meeting this this week, to t- I said, okay, because we always go over what the passage is going to be, do a little devotion on it, both uh, um, Nelson looked up at me, and Devin looked up, and he went, uh, I just preached on that six months ago, and he did. He just preached on the Lord's Prayer when well, we had our series on prayer so, but I had, since I'd already done a significant amount of study, I wasn't changing. So, <laughs> it's a fantastic, he did a great job with it, and we're, we're going to do it, we're going to go again. We can't get it, really, I feel like this is something we really can't get enough of, um, and I'd planned on it already. So, um, so that's what we're going to do. So, let's take a look at the Lord's Prayer. Let's, we're going to dive in and take a close look at this model that Jesus gave us for prayer. So, he starts off in verse 9, he starts off by saying, then pray like this. What Jesus is telling his disciples here is they're not to pray like those that don't have a real relationship with God. And they're just trying somehow to get his attention by just mindlessly repeating some words and phrases over and over and over again. That's a temptation I know for all of us. But many religions, that's the core of their prayers, is just saying things. He goes, no, don't do that. He's saying, this, that's not prayer. He's saying, this is prayer. What that means is he's saying is the characteristics that are found in this prayer should mark our prayers. And it's not something that's simply just to be memorized and just to say it without thinking about it, although it really is a good guide for personal prayer. So now Jesus moves into the actual prayer. He says, this is how you to pray, okay? Okay. Continue on, he says, our Father in heaven. By the way, how many of you, just by a show of hands, how many people grew up saying this prayer on a regular, wow, that's a lot of people, just saying this, I, I did, I did also, just saying this prayer over and over again. Not a bad thing, but once again, Jesus is not wanting us to just something that we wrote and just, and just say. So he says, our Father in heaven. Now, first thing you need to notice here is notice that he says, our Father Throughout this prayer, we're going to see that the pronouns aren't me, my, and I, but they're our, we, and they're us. And this is something Nelson did a great job with six months ago talking about this, how prayer is, this is supposed to be a prayer of a community, not just for individuals. It's a prayer that is meant to bring a community in line with God's purpose in this world, these are things that we are praying for, for all people, as well as ourselves, but we're praying for all people. Now, notice right away, what, what he does here, he gives us the proper mindset that we are to have when we come to God in prayer. The phrase, our father, is an implication of the privileged access that we have. Something that we forget, those of us that walked, have been a Christian for a long time, we forget about the incredible privileged access that we have to God. We come to God, he's as dearly loved, accepted children, that we know that he loves us no matter what. Now, this phrase, as in, in heaven, isn't meant to sound like we're praying to God who's way off. There are sects and religions that do believe that, yes, God created things, or what he did, whatever, he came on the scene, and then He now he just kind of backed off to let the world go. That's not what he's saying here. No, he's, he's saying it's meant to show that God's ultimate power and his reign over everything. So on one hand, we're to acknowledge that God is all-powerful and he's, he can be completely trusted. Yet on the other hand, he is completely approachable. I have a picture I wanna show you here. Um, many of you have seen this picture probably before. Bam. Um, this is a picture of the, one of the most, this guy is this guy the most powerful man in the free world at the time, JFK. And this is his young son. That's play, he's playing happily at his feet. This is a great example of this. The most powerful man in the free world at his desk working and his son just, just playing. And dad was fine with that. That's a great picture of this. We have all respect and awe of God yet we know that we're dearly loved and accepted by him no matter what. That's what Jesus is saying at the beginning of this prayer. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna move into three clauses in verses nine and 10 about God and the worship of him. About God and the worship of him. These clauses are expressed, you gotta understand, these clauses are expressed in the, in the original language as what they call imperatives, what that means is that they are essential, or they are vital. They're not just statements. They are essential, and these are vital, vital things. In this case, they, they are pleas for God to act and to make something so. God do something so that something happens here. So let's look at the first clause. First clause is, hallowed be your name. Now, this word hallowed means holy or set apart. Really, it's the opposite of something that is common. Now, God is obviously, he's already holy. It's not that we're asking him to be holy, because being holy is really his prime characteristic. So, this is not a request to ask him to be that. But, really, what this is, is this is a request that, peop- to asking that people would recognize and they would acknowledge that God is holy. We want people to do that. I want to remind myself this, but I want people to acknowledge this and give him the reverence that he is due. It means wanting others to adore and to glorify God because of how amazing he is, that they too would acknowledge his goodness, wisdom. And his power. That's what that line is. It's like what we see in Psalms. In Psalm 34, 1 through 3 it says this: I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name by myself. Together. Let's exalt his name together. That's the plea here. And so how do we do that? How do we magnify the Lord? How do we exalt his name together? Well, we do it when we recognize and acknowledge God's glory reflected in a sunset. That's one thing I've absolutely loved about moving to Pacifica and where I live right now. My wife is so tired. I do not want to see another sunset with you. Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought I'd hear the day. My wife didn't want to see another sunset with me. You said it yesterday. I'm just acknowledging God's glory, hon. <laughs> no, it's when, that's when we do. When we see the sunset we or a starlit night at sky, or we look out over a blue lake, we look over the ocean, we look over a mountain range, or when we hear birds chirping. I went out the other night, I had to take a picture. It didn't come out at all. I went out, there's a big giant tree right next to Nelson and Devin's home that got a big swing on it. This tall tree, so often I'll see on the very top, just like the Christmas ornament, there'll be an owl up there, just going off. He's just going. And then the other day there was an owl and another owl. And I was, I was just blown away. I'm a city guy. So I come here and there's owls and there's deer on my lawn, what the heck? That's awesome. So he says when we acknowledge this, but not only we think that that's really cool, but it causes us to want to praise God and see how good he is and amazing that he is. Not just another sunset, they are good. Not the, just, we, we look at those things and they cause us to want to go, man, God is good. We look over that mountain range and we go, whoa. Whoa. However he did that. Remember we talked about however he did the creation, however he did that. That's not the point. The point is, he was in charge and it causes us to want to to praise him we magnify and exalt god when we're marveled at the intricacies of our human body and when we stop to consider what he has done for us by sending his son to die for us we marvel at these things and we have a deep desire for other people too we want other people to do that. We want the whole town of Pacifica to be out there on the, looking at the sunset going, dang, God is good. That's our desire. That's what he's saying about this prayer. First, it starts with me, but then I want that for other people as well. Remember, this phrase is written in the imperative form, which means there's a sense of urgency that we can't wait for God's name to be adored, to be honored and glorified by everyone. That's what this prayer helps to remind us of. And here's the cool thing. The more that you ask for God's name to be hallowed or adored or magnified, really what's gonna happen is the more you're gonna find yourself adoring and magnifying God throughout the day. You can't help but personally be impacted by this type of request. It's impossible. That's why Jesus is telling us to do it. Second clause is found in the, next, in the first part of verse 10. He says, your kingdom come. Now, God's kingdom, God's kingdom is simply his reign and his rule in the hearts of men and women. That's what his kingdom is. Once again, this is not a request for something to be made true that already isn't true, but rather it, that God's kingship would be fully implemented here on earth as people submit their lives to Him. You see, the kingdom of God is both the now and the not yet. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. There's a phrase, that the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is already here because of the work of Jesus, what He did on the cross. But the consummation of God's reign lies in the future, when Jesus returns, when the, when, the, when the final resurrection happens, and this, as the saying goes, when our faith becomes sight. That's when it'll be the consummation of it. Until then, though, we pray God will reign and rule in our hearts and in the hearts of all men and women. Here's why this prayer is so important. Even for followers of Jesus, this is such an important prayer because it's really easy to assume that God is reigning and ruling in our hearts. I'm a Christian. I go to church all the time. I even went to the men's Bible study. So, God is reigning and ruling in my heart. But we need to remember that our flesh is always, always clamoring to put something else on the throne of our lives other than God and it's not going to be obvious it's not going to be obvious that's why this prayer is so important third imperative clause is in the second half of verse 10 your will be done on earth as it is in heaven now this plea builds on the previous one in that God would not only reign and rule in people's hearts but that there would be complete obedience to that reign in that rule, which is his will. That's what God's will is. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Later in Matthew chapter 16, we see that Jesus was completely focused on doing his Father's will. That was, that was his, it's like he had blinders on. It says, again, for the second time he went away and prayed, my Father, if this, if, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Basically saying, if I've got to go be tortured and murdered for, these, for the sins of the world, it's not what I'm looking forward to, <laughs> but if it's your will, I'm in wow. Of this verse, commentator R.T. France says this, he says, to pray such a prayer is, of course, to be committing oneself to honor God's name, accept his kingship, and do his will. You now, people often want to say, want to know, what's God's will for me? You ever said that to yourself? What is God's will for my life? Especially when you're younger, I think, especially people, are, what is God's will? And when you hit that mid-lifetime, what is God's will for my life? Simply put, you know what God's will is for your life? It is complete, 100% obedience to his reign and his rule in your life. That's his will for you. How that plays out, he'll let you know. He'll show you. But it's 100%, 100% obedience, a word we don't like in our society a lot. Obedience to God's reign and rule in your life. Now this, think about this. This impacts how you use your money, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, and however you practice, however you live all the different areas of your life. The reign and the rule of God in your life and being obedient that will have a severe impact on all these areas. Now this phrase on earth as it is in heaven can be applied to really all three of these clauses in that God, as God is recognized as holy in heaven, and as his kingship is established and recognized in heaven, and as his will is done in heaven, that these things would be reflected on earth as well. Now, the remainder of this prayer, verses 11, 13, now focus really on three petitions for our own needs, okay? These are three petitions for our own needs. The first petition for our need concerns material provision. Verse 11, we all have heard this, give us this day our daily bread. Now for the original Jewish hearers, their minds would have gone where? Daily bread, they would have instantly been thinking about the manna back in the the wilderness that God gave them, and he gave it to them just enough for each day, right? Remember, they were collect just, just enough for each day. So this is an acknowledgement of the promise that our heavenly Father can be fully trusted to take care of our needs one day at a time. I don't know about you, that's really hard for me. I'm looking at my needs down the road He's saying, give us this day our daily bread. Do I trust God is going to take care of me today? Will he take care of my needs today? I remember when I was, uh, when I was young, I, was, I, um, I subscribed to, I think it was like a Bill Gothard kind of thing. If those of you who have been around a long time, I think. And every on your birthday, you got this little placard that you could stick up somewhere. And I still remember one. This was, I got this when I was 16. It said, Worry. Assuming responsibility God had never intended me to have. That was, that's a long time ago. And it's, I would never have forgotten. Worry. Assuming responsibility God never intended me to have. That's what this is talking about right here. God's going to take care of my daily needs. He will. I don't, I don't have to worry about how it's, gonna, how it's going to play out. Now... Now, this, is a, this down in verses 25 to 33, Jesus talks about not worrying. If you've, you've heard the story before where he says, don't be anxious about your food or your clothing, and that just as God cares for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, he knows our needs and our basic necessities, and he will take care of them. Now, the reality is, us living here, I can't remember ever being anxious or worried about what I was gonna wear, when I was younger, I'd worried about how it looked. or well, probably still do. But I didn't worry about clothes. I can't remember the last time thinking, where's my next meal gonna come from? I, I, don't, I don't know what that's like. But Jesus' original readers, they could very, very well relate to this. Many first century workers, and even a lot of people in many parts of our world today, are paid one day at a time. So you can imagine the tragedy and the difficulty in their life when they're out sick, they knew exactly what this meant. So I think really there's a couple things that this petition implies for us today. It's not just about just for them. I think there's some things it applies to us today. First, the more we understand God as our heavenly Father, the more we are able to trust Him for not only our basic needs, but for all of our needs the more that we really understand him as our father, our heavenly father, we're going to trust him. Second, we should be overwhelmed and thankful every time we sit down for a meal or realize that our basic needs are being met, knowing that they are a gift from God. That's why, we, that's why we say grace. That's why we sit down and we thank God for the, for the food. It's not just, not to. we're not asking God to bless the food and make it all, well, sometimes we make it, but we're not asking for it to be blessed. We're asking, we're thanking God for it, thanking God for the blessing of, getting, of having that meal that we so easily take for granted. So stopping and praying, simply something simple as stopping and praying for every single meal that we have is a great reminder for us to be thankful. We easily think that all that we have become and all that we have is because of our hard work, because of our wisdom, our go gettedness. Yet we have, the because we got to realize that it's because God is given graciously to us. It's not because of us, it's Him. John Calvin said this He says, neither our industry, nor labor, nor hands acquire anything for us unless the blessing of God be present. That's what this prayer is to help us to remember. Third, as I noted earlier, since this prayer that is to be prayed for is to be prayed for all people, we need to remember to be praying for, that others will learn to trust God to take care of their daily needs. Not just the people that are struggling day to day to make it, but that people would around us, our family members. That's my prayer. I pray for my kids every day. One of the things I pray is that they would recognize God, not only in the difficult times, but in the good stuff that's happening in their life. We pray this for other people. And lastly, this petition helps us to align and focus our priorities. Align our, our focus and priorities. At the end of Jesus telling us not to worry or to be anxious about our clothing, he tells, he tells us where our focus needs to be on Him and His reign and His rule in our hearts. Look at verse 33. He says, But seek first. You know all this verse, have been in church for more than a couple months. Seek first. His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, even in our petitions for our own needs, God is to be our obsession. Even when we're asking for ourselves, the focus is still on God. All right, second petition is found in verse 12 for our own needs concerns forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. Our debtor. Now, a debt is a metaphor for offenses which need to be forgiven. And Scripture clearly teaches that we are forgiven the debt of our sins once, for all, once and for all, by the death of Christ on the cross. Yet, even though we're forgiven of, that, of our sin, we also know, right, that we continue to sin every single day. Maybe that's just me, but we sin all the time. Thus, our need to have our debt, conti- not, not to have our content, debt continually paid, that's been done. But we need to be able to be forgiven. From, we need to be forgiven so that our sins don't hinder us, our daily sins don't hinder us from the intimacy with God and others. That's what our sin does. I think we forget a lot of times that what our sin does, it, it hinders that intimacy with God. Not because God's going, ooh, I cannot be around you. You just you disgust me. Not that at all. But it's sin. It's it's a sin that separates us from that intimacy that we feel. It breaks like what Adam and Eve did. It's uh, that whole idea of I'm doing my thing, and God's where are you? Well, (laughs) well, I'm doing my thing. I'm. That's what sin does, so we need to be asking for forgiveness of this constantly. Notice that the second half of this verse seems to infer that that being able to forgive others is a prior condition to our being forgiven. What we see here, that forgiveness, what we're seeing is forgiveness is to be reciprocal. It's to be mutual, They're, they're related. We see that this backed up in a couple different ways in, in the Bible. It says The first is just a couple verses away in, after the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and, 15, 14 and 15 where Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But this is a verse a lot of people have a hard time with. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see the reciprocal relationship between forgiving others and being forgiven here? We see that this is, this is, in some chapters later, we even see, and Elson talked about this in his sermon also, but in Matthew 18, there's a story where Jesus tells a parable about an unforgiving servant. You know, Peter asked him, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody, Jesus? Tell me. He wanted a number. Just tell me and I'll do it, or I'll work hard at it, and I'll forgive. Jesus answers by telling him a parable. He says that the ki- this, he says that this servant of a king owes him financial debt really equivalent to 160,000 years' worth of work. That's a huge debt. The servant begs we know the story the servant begs for relief from this debt, and the king, in mercy, he forgives the debt. And you would think that the servant would walk off, "Yes, thank, you, I'm overjoyed and grateful." But instead, what does he do? He goes and finds a friend, a fellow servant, that has a financial debt to him that is equivalent to 100 days' worth of work, and he becomes angry with his friend, and he demands for repayment. He's furious. He wants it now, but the king hears about this, and he's furious about that the forgiving servant received, the forgiveness that he received was not reciprocated to his fellow servant. And he sees that this is crazy. Part of this point, the whole point of, one of the points of this whole parable is that it's absurd, it's absolutely absurd that we would be forgiven by God and not forgive others. We're to live this cycle of forgiveness. We We are forgiven by God. We're totally forgiven by God. And then we are to extend that forgiveness to others we see here that Jesus teaches that forgiveness is to be reciprocal, especially when we have begun forgiven so much. The reality is to ask to, be forget for, to ask to be forgiven while refusing to forgive is really, according to the Bible, totally hypocritical. Now, Forgiveness doesn't mean that we minimize or that we brush off an injustice or offense that someone has done. Not at all. That's not what he's saying here. But it does mean ridding ourselves of an absolute hatred that we would have for someone and this desire for absolute vengeance for, for that, against that person. And this is something that someone who has been forgiven much can understand. When we see the extent of what we've been forgiven, forgiving others, becomes possible. The lesson here is that only when we're willing to forgive the sins that have been committed against us do we really experience the full joy and experience of the forgiveness of our own sins. See how that makes sense? We, I, can, I get it, I'm forgiving, I, oh I just get a piece of what that means the joy that we get. The good news is that God the, is the initiator of the forgiveness. And therefore, he is the one that gives us the ability to forgive when forgiveness seems absolutely impossible. Do you have someone in your life, you think, I could never forgive them for that. And it was something that was horrible. Jesus gives us the ability, not just it's easy, to be able to do that because he is the initiator. God's the initiator. He shows what it means to forgive the ultimate thing and that's turning your back on somebody and saying, you gave me life, heck with you. I'm done doing my own thing. And he said, I'm gonna forgive that. That makes a big difference in our lives, the joy that we get from that, but knowing that that's where it comes from. So if you're trying to muster up forgiveness for someone who has wronged you and hurt you, You need to stop trying to muster that up by yourself. It's not going to happen. We talk about that. I talk about that a lot from up here, about pulling your bootstraps up and trying to do life on your own, which we're really, I know I'm trying. I'm good at trying that a lot. But it's only God who's going to be able to give you the strength to do that. So if you're struggling with somebody, forgiving somebody, I encourage you to find another brother or sister, someone that can help you, to be praying with you. You can pray after the service for help, in forgiveness, because that's where it comes from. Once again, this petition falls in line with fulfilling God's will, remember, of complete obedience to the rule and to the reign of, God's, of God in our lives. All right, third and final petition for our own needs concerns protection from future sin. Verse 13 says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this verse goes along well, with what we really looked at last week. Remember, last week, if you're here, we looked at the topic of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about that tug of war, the tug of war that's going on between the Spirit and our flesh. The Apostle Paul talked about the, the, the constant struggle that we all have between walking in the Spirit and gratifying the desires of the flesh. It's that natural tendency we have, it's that natural desire we have to be dominated by our sinful nature. So the bottom line is that we we need God's help and protection in the face of the devil's intense desire to lead us astray. After all, he is called, what, the tempter. It's one of the names he's been given, the tempter, because throughout Scripture, and even today, he is constantly enticing people and enticing us to disobey God in the way we think, in the way we act, in the way we talk, because he wants to lead us astray. This verse is telling us that we are to ask God that he, that we would be wise, that he would give us the wisdom to be wise in how we conduct our lives so that we will not allow ourselves to come to a place where the enemy of our souls, and because of our circumstances, uses our circumstances to lead us astray. That's the whole, that's what he's saying here. Some examples would be allowing our values to be compromised by putting too much importance on making an idol out of certain things, making an idol out of our career, or a relationship, a possession, or a hobby. That'll easily do it. It can, mean, it can mean falling for the belief that we are only valuable when we perform well or meet certain standards that we or someone else has put on us, not biblical ones. That one I can relate to. It means it can mean compromising our values just enough to make life a little bit easier. You know what I'm talking about here? Wait, you know what? If I just fudge a little bit on my taxes, or if I just tell a little lie to my spouse, or to my kids, or to my boss... Just so I don't rock the boat, just make things a little bit easier. See, it's these small compromises. Remember the Bible says, don't give the devil a what? A foothold. Anybody ever rock climbed in here? A foothold is a phenomenally important thing in rock climbing. These muscles, bigger than these muscles. A foothold is very important. And a foothold doesn't, if you know anything about rock climbing, it doesn't have to be very big. Just has to be enough. That's what he's saying there in in, in this. Lead us not into that. Or Or it's something like putting ourselves in situations that we know that if we stay in this or we keep thinking this way, we're gonna be in trouble. I better not stay here, whether it's in my mind or physically. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna challenge you to use the Lord's prayer as a model just this week. Try to remember to do it this this week as a model for prayer this week, Okay. Start start off like this way. Start off by adoring and worshiping God for who he is. And you know what? Just linger there. Linger there for a little while. You're so good. Because I know what it's like. If you're anything like me, God, you're good. You're great. You're good. God, here's what I need. He said, you know what? That's why I encourage you. Just linger there. Linger in worshiping and honoring God for who he is Then pray that he would reign and rule, truly reign and rule in your heart and in the hearts of your friends, your family members, your kids, your co-workers, and that the result of that would be complete obedience. Then move into acknowledging that you believe that he can be trusted to meet all of your needs and thank him for meeting your needs. The big ones... And the small ones. Did I say something funny? Okay. <laughs> move into. The, I just never know what I do sometimes. Then what I want you to do? Then move into forgiveness. Okay. Asking for forgiveness of any sins that you know that you that might have done, and the strength to forgive others. Sometimes when we need to ask, what we need to do is ask God. God. Sometimes we need to sit quietly. and Go, Holy Spirit, help me know what, where have I missed the mark? Where have I fallen short? And keep asking that. Where have I fallen? What are some things that I should have done that I haven't done? What are there some things that I've done that I shouldn't? And just ask for the forgiveness. But then ask to forgive others. Ask how you can do it. And lastly, pray that he would help you to be wise in how you conduct your life and what you allow your mind to dwell on. The TV shows, the movies. I'm not telling anybody what not to and what not to watch or listen to or anything like that, but be careful that the enemy can get that foothold, that you would not find yourself in a place where the enemy is actually slowly leading you astray. Prayer truly is vital and its crucial part of the Christian life. Let's take advantage of this very helpful model that Jesus has given us, okay? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We thank you for so much that we have. We thank you for who you are, God. I pray that um, this prayer would be new and fresh for us as we we, uh, pray it not just to say the words, but to allow you to change our hearts and our minds, Father. Jesus, thank you for giving us this prayer. And I pray this for this week for all of us, God, that we would, as we enter into your presence, not feeling guilty that we haven't done it, not feeling we're not doing it long enough, but the time we do spend with you would be time that is truly life-changing. Maybe not feeling it at the time, but knowing that we are communing and communicating with our God who loves us and desires to give us good things. We pray it all in your son's name.